This morning we're going to talk about the mystery, and we're going to be finding that in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you look at that, it is kind of referencing something earlier on. Well, what have we talked about in Ephesians chapter 2? We've talked about the mystery of God's grace, right? That God extends his invitation not only to the Jewish people, but he extends it to the Gentiles as well, which in that day would be a revolutionary, earth-shattering, blasphemous thing to say. But Jesus came and reset that, and he proved that through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And so there are times in history where we've seen other false prophets come and say, well, we got this new revelation, and it's and it's it, it came in the Americas. This is the Mormon religion. And they say, there's a Book of Mormon that needs to come alongside, and that's just a false teaching, folks. It's, it's a lot about space invaders and having your own um, planet to rule someday. That's what Mormonism is a lot. Uh, you can look at Babylon. No, Babylon 5 is uh, J-dubs, isn't it? It's one of the two. I think it's, it's one of the two. It's like, wow, it's right there. It's the whole thing, Babylon 5, the old TV show that came out. It's coming back, by the way. Um, so I would encourage you probably not to watch that, but you can learn some things about the occult if you want to, I guess. So all that stuff, it permeates into our culture, doesn't it? It permeates and it tries to infect the church. And if we look at these things, that is one of the things that is amazing to me on how God has given the church the ability to come out and be separate. That is another part of the mystery, Right, And the biggest part is when we come out from our sins and separate ourselves from our sins. That's the mystery of God's grace. And we're going to talk about that one first this morning. So we're going to get into Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read 1 through 5. And I had this amazing three-part sermon, and it was just going beautifully. But by the time I got to end of chapter, or the, the second point, I was on my sixth page of notes, which is usually a sermon. And so I just axed the whole third point, and we'll save it till next week. It's, it just, that's how it's going to be sometimes. So it, we might have to hit the pause button and then loop them together. It's going to be like, uh, we are the champions, and uh, we will rock you. They have to go play back-to-back in the, in the playlist. I don't know. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 goes like this. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will not understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. How do we know? Think about this. How do we know that Paul's got a revelation from Jesus Christ that's never been revealed before? That sounds right there. My my bells and whistles are going crazy. Uh, Anybody comes in the church and says, well, I got this new revelation. I'm going to be like, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) I'll bring him in the front door and I'll walk him out the back. Hey, let's have a tour. Oh, there you go. There's the back door. And it's locked, right? And I'll run to the front and keep him out because that's what we do. You don't want that teaching in the church. So how do we know Paul's was any different? And like I said before, just a few minutes ago, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon Paul, and therefore, as it comes upon Paul, he 
passes it on to other people. And when they receive the Holy Spirit, they have the wisdom and the discernment that they can come alongside one another and know that it's true what Paul is teaching. Okay? It was also proof that that happened. And we're going to get into that a little bit with Cornelius because I like to say his name pretty much. So I was like, man, if I could just incorporate that in the sermon. That's not true. It just happens to be the guy's name. And it's fun to say. The mystery. Paul was convinced that he was supposed to be opposed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he was Saul, he was one of the top persecutors of the church. He came in and he would kill Christians that professed that. They were trying to distort the truth of Judaism is what he thought. And so he got so zealous that he not only persecuted around Jerusalem, that he went to different towns and um, went to Damascus, not Emmaus is what I said a couple of weeks ago. He went to Damascus. So on the road to Damascus, something happens. And so we read in his testimonies when he's sharing to one of the kings in Acts chapter 26, Verses 9 through 11, it says, We read his testimony. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them or punished in the synagogue to get them to curse Jesus. He wanted them to say that, to renounce the name of Jesus, and said they were blaspheming against him, is what that means. And I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to foreign cities. See, Paul was convinced that he was doing right by God. He was convinced that his zeal was from the Lord. I just feel this. And have you ever, have you ever, been around somebody that they get into church service and they're like, oh, I just need, I need to feel the power of the Holy Spirit in us, okay? What's the danger in that? It can be the same thing as stacking God's theology after your theology, okay? So having feelings before that I need to feel a certain way for the Spirit to move there's some truth in that. Like, I know when I'm right with God and when I need to, when I'm not. When there's sin or there's angst in between me and God, then I got to get right. Okay, so there is something to be with, said with feelings. But when you have to feel a certain way, the danger in that is when you come to church every Sunday, and let's say that your week was a mild week, so you just need a little bit of Jesus. And if your week was a stronger week, you need a lot more Jesus. And we got to keep playing those worship songs until we get more Jesus so I can get into the mood so I can praise God during the sermon. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a curve. It sounds like an economic curve of diminishing returns, right? I'm going to ramp it up, 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 but I can't get enough and so I'm going to crash back down, and I'm going to say, where are you, God? Because I didn't feel you this week. Does God need us to feel him to be present? No, he doesn't. Does God need us to be sinless, to work in our life? He used Pharaoh in his mission. So no, he doesn't, right? He can use who he wants, how he wants. He actually chooses to use us 
whether we feel like it or not, right? And so we can rest in the foundation of Christ and not being tossed back and forth by the, the wind and the waves of our own theology and our own feelings, but we can press on and know that we have a foundation in his word that we can stand on and walk and keep moving forward, right? So that's kind of exciting. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It has a lot to do with what God has. And so God confronts Paul on his way because Paul was convinced that he was already following God. He was convinced of it. And he would have continued in this except that God confronts him. So his zeal is correct for the Lord. It was just misdirected. He was very zealous for the Lord, which is great. But he was zealous and pointing this direction when he needed to be pointing 180 degrees from that. And so as he's going to Damascus, God blinds Paul and God causes Paul's eyes and closes his eyes and then he opens his ears. Paul thought he was doing the work of the Lord, but really, in reality, he was working against the Lord. And it's interesting how the world's deceives us into thinking that we are doing something good when in reality we are doing something bad. It's contrary to what the Spirit has for us or God's Word, right? I, what does that look like in church today? It looks like talking about God's grace but not His wrath. It's talking about God's mercy but not His judgment. Because God is a multifaceted God that he sometimes will have us go one way. You think about Philip in Acts. If you ever read about Philip in Acts, he is going and he's, he's leading this huge crowd in this big revival. And God says, go out into the middle of nowhere and preach the gospel to this one person. And he's like, okay, but look at all the people we're saving over here. He doesn't say that. He's like, okay, I'm gone. Boom. God takes him out there, and he sees this one um, Ethiopian eunuch, and he, and he preaches the gospel to him. And, and there's a lot of people that believe that much of Africa was saved from that one testimony that he was reading out of Isaiah. And it's really an interesting concept that just because we think we are in the midst of this revival, sometimes he wants us to go get that one, right? To get the one that's, um, you leave the 99 to go after that one, right? And so when we go after that one, what, how do we go? Do we go like they go? No. We're called to be separate from what the, Lord, what the world has for us, right? So we go in a way that comes alongside them, but we're maybe not going to be doing the same things as they are, okay? So in this world, there are many who try to deceive the believers. And Jesus even says in Matthew 24, 24, that there's going to be some false messiahs and false prophets who will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, even if possible, God's chosen ones. Okay, the elect is what that would be. Um, it'd be Christians at that point. Saints, another way to say that, right? Each one of us here that have accepted Jesus Christ in their heart, that's a saint, that's a chosen one, that's the elect, okay? And 
Jesus says is if possible, because it may look like it on the outside that they are following me, but on the inside of their heart, they probably weren't in the first place. And so that's why I think he's got if possible in there. It's not that he doubts his, what he's saying. He's saying that he doubts their testimony coming from their lips and their actions. Paul also warns us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8, says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. When I think of that back in my, my day, I would think of afternoon talk shows. That's an Oprah, Dr. Phil, if I ever heard a verse against them ever, right? Now, can we get benefit from some of those things? Yes, but can we get false teaching from some of those things? Absolutely. And sometimes they come about hand in hand. You know, Phil Donahue, whew, man, that was a good one, right? Uh, we some, some good, good things going on there, but um, good for entertainment, not necessarily good for our souls. So Paul was going down a path that wasn't from the Lord, and that is until the Lord stepped in at Damascus. And now, instead of becoming the hero of the story, he is the villain, and Christ is the hero. I love that about Paul. How do we know that we are, know we are going down the right road that leads to the Lord? Well, here are five helpers that will help us get her down that road. Maybe they're five guides. It doesn't really matter, but uh, down the Lord's road. One is the roadmap, Right? The roadmap, Psalm 119. Did you know Psalm 119 is all about God's word? Uh, if you read statutes, if you read his word, you read about uh, principles or, and things of that, those are all references to God's word. The whole thing is going through the Hebrew alphabet one letter at a time, and it's very poetic Hebrew poetry that David wrote, and it goes through very specific stanzas, and this is one of those verses out of those stanzas. The whole stanza is good. But the, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I really, really like this verse. Because it's kind of like, you ever have a Q-beam? You know what those are? You got the big lanterns. Uh, you don't necessarily need them as much. Like a DeWalt flashlight almost does good enough job, but you can get the big DeWalt flashlights that just lights up the whole countryside in the middle of the night. We used to love those when we were um, out in the middle of the country because it's really dark out there, and you have a, a Q-beam for your path, so you know your destination. I can see the house because it shoots clear all the way out there a mile away, and I can see the house right there, so I know where I'm going, but I also need to know my next step, right, because I happen to be able to walk through some timber here and I could trip and fall real easy. So you have a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay, that's what that is all about, right? So God's word, that's what it helps us with. Number two, the compass, prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. I like that one, right? not the difference between right and wrong. It's the difference between right and almost right. I, I, my best illustration with the compass is when you're flying from New York to LA, how far off in the compass do you have to be to miss the, your destination? Like 90 degrees? Would you, you'd definitely miss your destination, but you'd probably figure that out, right? 
from the direction of the sun. You're like, the sun's there. I'm not supposed to be. I should be shooting this way. I can't even guess that from that, right? So if, if Satan wants to get us off of Jesus, what are we going to do? Are we going to just go 180 degrees and he's going to present that? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he presents just straight up evil. But a lot of times he just takes us one or two degrees off. And if you fly that thousand miles from, from New York to L.A., you're going to find out if you're one to two degrees off, you're going to end up in like Washington, the state, right? That's way off because you didn't correct it. And that is something that's dangerous. And so that's what we have. So the power of prayer is resetting that compass. It's getting our mind and getting our spirit back onto this. And God's word says in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will keep our eyes on the prize. And I've had, we talk about, we've talked about anxiety here. And can we have anxiety? Is anxiety a real thing? Yes, it is. It really is. Can it be paralyzing? Can it uh, drop you right as it has? Can it come up out of nowhere? Yes, it can. It can do all those things, right? And so what, where does that come from? I don't know. Sometimes I think it's because I get my eyes off the prize, right? I can tell you an example of a new fear that came to me that I did not expect at all. It was claustrophobia. Have you guys ever gone to the city museum before? Well, in the city museum, it's very fun, but it has like all this climbing things that you can do, and they don't like figure out that, okay, when you go through this place, it has to be a hole at least this big. There's holes that are this big, right? And for long distances. And so you get going along, and I'm like, huh, there went my little two-year-old through that little log there, and I need to find them because I don't know if it's gonna, if I can go around and just get to that level because sometimes they go down to the basement, and you are on two different levels, and you just lost your kid. And it is a little scary one way or the other. So I got that anxiety building up in me. I got other things going on, stresses in my life, and I start walking down this this. Um, log, and I'm crawling, and I'm army crawling, and I am army crawling, and I'm stretching like this because my brother said he went through that log, and he couldn't get through without backing up, putting his arms like this, and sliding out that because his shoulders were too broad. I don't have that problem like my brother, but it was still tight. It was tight for me, so I don't know really how he got out of there, and I got three quarters of the way through there. It's slightly sloped down, so it's hard to go back, and I'm panicking. I am like, I'm sweating, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to get out of here right now. My, my chest starts going, doop, 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 which is a lot like an anxiety attack, right? And I'm, what is the deal? And the walls are closing in on me. Well, they're, they were already closed in on me, but that didn't make any sense. But as I've gone back, that hasn't happened before. Well, why? Because I prepared my body and my mind so I was able to walk in that situation and be, go in with confidence and think through, okay, if I go through that log again, this is what's going to happen 
and I speak some of the irrational fear that is welling up in my life, and that helped me work through that. Does it always work like that? Not always, not always. But that was a, that was a helpful step for me. So praying through that in the moment was the way I got through that, and I got out, and I did not go back, and I said, we're not going through that log anymore. Plus, I knew where it went on the other side. We were good. I could have went around, turns out. Number three, the guide. We need to trust the guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit will come and convict us of these three areas, it says in John chapter 16, 8 through 11. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world. He will come and convict. When he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. Verse 9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? When we refuse to believe the Holy Spirit, we're going to go to hell. Okay? That is it. It can come in little tinges, but that's the biggest one, uh, like prompting of the Holy Spirit that we need to do something. We need to witness to someone. We need to go somewhere, and we refuse to obey. That was our also things I think would fall in that line as well. But the major one is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means that I'm not going to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. I'm going to choose to go my own way, and I will go to hell. Okay. Uh, righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Righteousness is available because Jesus wins. Jesus defeats death. Praise God. Amen? That's awesome. And since he wins, he invites us an invitation to the victory party through him. So if he wins, we win. And Jesus is righteous before God, and he allows us to stand with him because he covers up all our unrighteousness. Awesome. And then judgment. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. God's wrath is coming to eradicate sin. God does not have a desire to eradicate people. He does not have a desire to destroy what he has created. But what he has created has been corrupted by sin, and he has to eradicate sin. He's got to get rid of it. And so that's why he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. That means the old one is going to pass away, and it's going to be taken out, right? Number four, when in doubt, check the moth right? When in doubt, check the moss. So this is kind of like a gut check, right? If you've read your Bible, if you've prayed about it, are you getting a leaning one way or the other from the Holy Spirit? You ever been in those decisions where I'm just not really sure where I'm supposed to go next? And if you've done all these things and there's still not a right feeling in your gut, you might have the right idea, but you're going about it the wrong way. Um, we need to run it past trusted advisors, right? We need to run it by people that we can trust. There's many times when we've come together as elders and I may bring some crazy idea or one of the Craigs brings a crazy idea and we have this crazy idea and they, they're like, you know, that is a really good idea, but it needs to be refined yet. So there's something that's just not quite right because as I've seen at White Rose, when we are walking together, all the elders are walking together. We are walking in the same path. We all say, yes, that's a great idea, but it needs to be refined. Something needs to be fixed. Pastor Dave and I used to do that. I used to come with him with some wild ideas. 
And he would be like, that's a good idea, but it, have you thought about this, 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 this? He was a logistics guy, and we, we could just, and we'd work that thing together, right? And so when we came back and then when we presented it to the board, we'd have a lot of those questions that I just, wacky questions I bring to the board now sometimes, right? And so like the tree tunnel came out of that. Like, what can we do on Halloween that would just be something different that we could do? And they brought candies, and they hand out candy out here the first time we had the building. And I was like, we can take that and make it better. We can do something better. That's when we started bringing in the, the games and things. And we just set up this hallway, and that was the tunnel that we would come through. And then we, then we have, uh, we'd take black plastic and do black lights and all this stuff. And then we realized that we have to expand this. We are getting too many people. We can't run them all through here. We need to bring them into the building. And because it's cold outside often, uh, snowing one year, crazy, right? And so as we came through, we bring them through the building. We're like, wow, we just can't, can't believe this building. So it looks so nice and things. And it's, it's been a blessing for us to just to say, hey, why don't you come into our house? Why don't you come into our house and be treated like family? And the world's just not used to that. But to start all that process, we had to look at, we wanted to do an outreach. That was the good thing. How are we going to go about it? That was some of the things that needed to be refined. So we had to check our gut, see what we needed to do. And then when we kind of get everything, our ducks in a row, number five, we keep moving forward. You don't stop and say, oh, that would have been a good thing to do. That would be something nice that you know, somebody else could do. It. Maybe the church down the street will do it. No, you've got to put it into practice, right? Faith is not faith at all if you don't put it into practice. It means you had good intentions, but you didn't follow through with them, right? And what does God do with good intentions? Nothing. What does he do with faith? It says even if it's small as mustard seed, he can move mountains with that. Right? So we need to keep moving forward. And it's just like Elijah on the mountain top, right? After we checked with our trusted advisors and checked all the boxes above, and we take this leap of faith, we think of Elijah. He was up on a mountain top and he does this amazing thing with all the the prophets of Baal and has them killed, and he thinks that, you know, God's gonna just come in and refine the whole Israelite people, and this is where we're going to come back to the Lord, and now he's running for his life. Rain's coming, he is running away from the chariot, and he's like, I got to go in the wilderness, and he's like, what happened, God? We were, we were winning, we were doing what you said, I, I thought we were, this is what we we're going to do, and he has, he says, Elijah, eat this, and we're going to run. And he runs for like 40 days or something like that. I, it's a crazy amount of time. And he runs the whole time. And he gets to this mountain. And God shows up. And he sends fire on the mountain. A lot of people think it was a um, volcano. And he, God wasn't in the fire. So then God sends an earthquake. And God wasn't in the earthquake. And then God sends this mighty wind which a lot of people think is a tornado, but they don't really have those in the Middle East. So um, God wasn't in the tornado. And then God sent this small whisper. And God was in the whisper. 
You see, sometimes we want to have this big, mighty thing happen in our life, and we need to have this big movement, and God's not always in that big movement. Sometimes it's in that still, small voice. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. I've done these things, and I've done what you asked, and you better get me some help or I'm, I'm quitting. <laughs> right? And that's when he sends Elisha. Right? Elijah, he says, go get Elisha the Tishbite. I got about three jokes right there, but I'm just going to keep going on Tishbite. Man, that's a good one. Um, God said all these things, but all he heard was a still small voice, the whisper. God's word is a lamp and two a guide in my feet and a light for my path, just like we said before. Because God calls us from his mystery to be unified as believers to serve like Jesus did. Let's finish this off. Ephesians 3, 6 through 9 says, And this is God's plan. Both the Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news were e- share equally in the riches and inheritance by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, his grace graciously given me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. Unified believers, Jesus' message of salvation is for the Gentiles too. Praise God because I'm a Gentile, and I would not make it to heaven without that, right? Y'all are Gentiles too, I'm pretty sure. This is revolutionary for someone in the Jewish background. Upon this point in time, God has called the Jewish people to come out and be separate from the Gentiles they were surrounding. However, they were also to set themselves apart as holy. They were supposed to set this example that they were a holy people, set apart for God, and draw the Gentiles to the Lord, their God, through their righteous living. And we're supposed to do that too, by the way. And this is the area where they fell short. In many cases, they came, became more wicked than the tribes around them because they knew the truth, they were defiant in the truth, God lifts his hand from them, and they were wandered way further than even some of those people around them. So God hit the reset button through Peter. He calls Peter to go to the Gentiles to a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, which the Newsboys has a great song about, by the way. And you should listen to it, because they say Cornelius even cooler than I do. God moves Peter to fall into a trance. And in the vision he had, Peter sees a large sheet and was letting down by the four corners, all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And the voice said to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Peter said, the Jewish law does not allow me to do this. The voice said, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This vision happens three times. How many times have you had a dream and then had the dream two more times? doesn't happen very often, not in the same night. Every once in a while it does. Peter was amazed and puzzled what this could mean, but 
As soon as he came out of the vision, the Holy Spirit said, there are three men downstairs looking for you. You must go with them. Cornelius explains the vision. So Cornelius' men, the next day they go out, they leave, they go to Cornelius' house. And when they get there, Cornelius first wants to bow down and worship Paul as a god. And Paul says, no, I'm a man just like you are. Get up. Um, so they got to get this culture thing figured out and things. Cornelius explains the vision from the Holy Spirit that he had with Peter. And, and with Peter's previous vision from the Holy Spirit, Peter now knows that the Holy Spirit can, be, can save everyone, even the Gentiles. Paul discovers this as well. And many of the other apostles that go out and start preaching to the Gentiles elsewhere, they find that the Holy Spirit is working in and through them. And that's a lot about what the book of Acts is about. It's how, should, we, they should, should they follow the law, or should they just follow the pressing of the Holy Spirit and just a few laws, flee from sexual immorality, and don't eat the blood in the meat? Okay? Those are two things that come from um, the only two stipulations, really, that come along. And so Peter knows that the Holy Spirit can save everyone, even the Gentiles. And one thing I find interesting about the story of Peter and Cornelius is that one was a Jew and one was a Roman. These cultures, they didn't get along. They do not mix. They do not come together. There's fighting. There's killing and slander between these two cultures. They don't even... Jews weren't allowed to go into a Roman's house, and a Roman wasn't allowed to go into a Jewish house. They weren't allowed to mix. It, they were separate by the culture and just really in a severe way. Yet we find in this story, God's redefining Peter's definition of holy. And Cornelius trying to worship Peter like he is a god. Additionally, Peter walks right into the house. He rebukes Cornelius for worshiping him and gets him up, says, I'm a man just like you. He walks into a house they would never set foot in, both a Jew being a Jew and associated with Romans, it just doesn't happen. Most men are humbled from their, both men are humbled from their lofty traditions and ideals. To come to this understanding that God has unified all believers, praise God in his holy name. What are some lofty ideals that we need to come to terms with in order to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our hearts? What are your lofty ideals? I was like, I didn't want to go through this one. So maybe, maybe it's extended family. You haven't talked to a son or a daughter for many years. Maybe it's, they haven't talked to you. Maybe there's angst there. Maybe it's an aunt or uncle or grandparents or your parents. Maybe it's a municipality that you're having a hard time with and they like your company, bust the gas line right out on Kloss and the Main. I just, for instance, I don't know. And they didn't call the stinking uh, gas company. It's just blowing. I mean, a little match over here Thursday and we were all dying. But fortunately, somebody did call and uh, got that taken care of. And we're still here today and we have a building to worship the Lord in. Maybe it's a coworker or a boss or a board that you're a part of. Or maybe it's a spouse or immediate family member. 
Maybe it's none of these things. Maybe it's, you know, Shane, I, I, I get along with all people pretty well. I'm doing pretty good. Can't think of anything offhand. Well, then I want to challenge you in this. I want to ask you about where you at with your theology. Where's the world crept into your relationship with Jesus Christ? How has it tried to shape your thinking instead of the gospel? Where has the darkness clouded your judgment? Where have you turned and wandered from the Lord? Where have you closed our mind and where are, you, are not listening? Where have our hearts been hardened in the grand scheme of my heart, Christ's home, which we'll touch on next week, the stinky closet, the stinky closet. Where have we lost our sense of shame? Where are we quick to be lost and seek every kind of impurity? Pastor, where are you getting this from? Where is this coming from? It's coming from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 19. I just took those and put them in a question form. That's quoting that scripture. Can we put our, on our new nature and clothes, clothed in Jesus Christ? We can run it through the five steps we talked about earlier in step one, right? But here are five lies. Here are five lies that the world likes to tell us that sound really Christian-like, but that are not. And we're going to close with these five lies. First one, and most of these are Disney. I'm just going to say that. Sorry if you like Disney. Uh, first one is, but really it's anything. Follow your heart. I mean, you hear this in... Just follow your heart, princess, and you'll be fine. Right? What does Jesus say? Does he say, follow your heart? He says, no, follow me. Why, why are we supposed to follow him? Because in Jeremiah 17, 19, it says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, God does, right? Why do you think he comes in and cleans our heart? Okay, so when we are following the Holy Spirit... And he is in our heart, and we are putting him first. That's the only time you can kind of follow your heart, okay? But if you are ignoring the Holy Spirit, and you're like, oh, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants, that's a lie straight from Satan. Where do you see that the most? Where do I see that the most? The heart wants what the heart wants. Where do you hear that all the time? It's in relationships. Relationships, I. You know, I, I know she's not good for me, but, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Oh, he's, he beats me a little bit, but, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. We make excuses for every single thing except for God. We will blame God until we're blue in the face, right? And shouldn't it be the opposite of that? Isn't that what the world exactly wants us to do? Make excuses for our sins and not for the Lord? Be true to yourself. Be true to your heart. Be true to your heart. It's a Disney song. Oh, and you're like, oh, you're killing me here, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. Matthew 16, 24 says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take, your, take up your cross and follow me. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. It's the place to start. And I said, hey, what a wonderful kind of day. That's PBS. Sorry, it's not Disney, but it's, uh, uh, what's his name from? 
Oh, what is it? William, you get, remember that one? Arthur, yes. Ah, oh, Arthur, man. You, every time I just, just read the lyrics to that, it is so secular. The whole, the whole front song, it's so bad. And they just went, they, Arthur just went, bringing in all the culture. And, oh, I like that show so much. It was so good. Thank God for Bluey. <laughs> Bluey's good. Believe in me. John 5, 24 says, I, tell, I, sh- I could have a whole sermon. If I have a gap between when I'm Christmas and Ephesians, I'm just going to do a whole sermon on, on Bluey things. I think I could totally pull it off. Um, if John, maybe we could have a blue Christmas. I could have a blue, just do... Oh man, I, that's, that's a good one. Sorry, back to, back to the thing. Believe in me, Jesus says in John 5, 24, says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. God says, believe in me. Believe in the one who sent me. And when you believe in the one who sent me, you can also believe in me because I was sent by him, right? So believe in me, not, not in yourself. Live your truth. Oh, you got to live your truth. That one's a little bit more like a Nike, just do it thing. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to go to heaven, you got to go through Jesus Christ and what he has to say. How do you know what he says? You look at the Gospels. You look at the Gospels, you find out what he says, and then you're like, huh, that's interesting. So then I'm going to look at the rest of the New Testament and say, hey, I like that. What am I going to do with that? I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and reread it. That's what I do, right? Because we can study all the time, but if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit and he is not pressing into us what we need to do, there's always something new that we can learn from the Gospels and the New Testament and the Old Testament scriptures. Amen? We got to go and live his truth. And five, just as long as you're happy. Well, just as long as you're happy, dear. Uh, I, was, I picture a father saying this to a daughter. Well, just as long as you're happy. Maybe a mom saying it to a son. Just as long as you're happy. Well, I think I'm going to go get stoned tonight and get drunk and out of my mind. Well, just as long as you're happy, son. Make sure you get a designated driver. You're underage. It's all wrong, right? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very soul doesn't profit him anything how long is our lifespan compared to eternity it's barely a pinprick is it if you were to take a needle and put it on the timeline it would still be smaller than that compared to eternity folks what we have here is a proving ground for us to develop our character and develop our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we get to heaven, I like to say we'd be, we will be less see-through, we less translucent, we'd be a little bit more solid. Where do I get that from? I get that from The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. If you ever read that book, it's a great book. It's a fic- book of fiction. But he uses that illustration as people deepen in their faith, they become um, more solid 
as a person and less like when they become less um, when they backtrack they become more translucent and see-through and some one guy even disappears in the thing so it's like wow that's it's a great illustration and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul and then he asks a second question is there anything worth more than your soul Friends, Jesus Christ came down to this earth, died for us, so that, and then rose again so that we might save our soul for eternity. There's nothing more important than that. God calls us from this mystery. He calls us out of this mystery of grace, and he says, come, follow me. I will show you how to have peace that passes understanding. I will show you what is right and how to live righteously. I will convict you in your sins. And I will make you find that peace that passes understanding. You'll be unified with those in your church and, and other believers around the world because of me. And you can serve just like Jesus did, sacrificially, right? Through his love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has in us and the encouragement that it is to us to walk as Jesus walked. Lord, when we start stringing together days where we're doing well and we're walking with you and we see how it's changing our hearts, changing our mind, changing our souls to be more like you, Lord, we, we strengthen up underneath that and encourages us to keep pressing forward. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to well up with your Holy Spirit, poured inside of us, and pour out onto others. That your love would come out of the overflow of our hearts because of what you've poured into it. Not what we've poured into it, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would burn away the chaff, burn away the the dross, and wipe it off the top that we wouldn't poison other people with our own traditions, with our own sinful habits, but that we would pour out the purity of gold that comes from you, the pure water that is pouring out um, from you as a well of life. Lord, that we would become disciple makers of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making us Giving, giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples. Ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.